Our passage this evening is from 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will put up, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Thanks, Sam. Can I invite you to pray with me before we begin? Yes, Lord, we thank you so much for the precious gift of your word. And we do ask that you would come and apply it to our lives. We ask that you would bring us to life, that you would, in any areas of deadness in our lives, any areas where we're hardened to the ways of your spirit, that you would do a miracle and um, remove that and give us a heart of flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it seems to me as human beings that we love a good rallying cry. Uh, maybe you can, uh, for those of you who are around my sort of age anyway, you can remember uh, Barack Obama's presidential campaign. And do you remember his line? Um, it was, yes, we can. Or maybe some of you can remember, if you're, if you're that old, back to Martin Luther King and that uh, immortal speech, I have a dream. Uh, personally, I, I, I always think of, you know, blue-faced Mel Gibson uh, in Braveheart, sort of shouting, freedom! Or uh, another one would be, you know, Gandalf, you know, planting himself, getting his staff, and, uh, you know, saying, you shall not pass. You know what I'm talking about. It's the, it's the half-time talk when you're 2-0 down, or, you know, the rousing speech when it seems like everything's been lost. And the reason I think these rallying cries stick with us is because they help us somehow to stay focused on what is most basic or fundamental. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're given in many ways um, a rallying cry, a Holy Spirit-inspired rallying cry right near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. And it's summarized there in three words from verse 2, which is the title um, for tonight's message, Preach the Word. Preach the Word. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He's awaiting execution 
It's likely the final few weeks or months of his life. And he writes to a young and a timid man called Timothy. But actually, these words speak to every age and every Christian, which is why they're in the New Testament. And in these stirring final words, he reminds us of really what is truly urgent and eternally important. I've, uh, this passage is particularly precious to me because my, uh, my calling to ministry started with a sermon I heard on this passage. Um, I was at All Souls Langham Place, uh, which is not far from here. Uh, Hugh Palmer was preaching, I believe, and it was an incredibly powerful time for me of the Lord confirming that this was actually what he was calling me to do. I've spent a lot of my time with dying people, and it's true that death can focus your mind and priorities like nothing else. It doesn't always, but usually it does. And with Paul's death approaching, it's like that. He wants to get across to Timothy that preaching the word needs to be his priority if he wants to live a faithful life that matters in the sight of God. Now, you might think as I say that, well, I'm not a preacher or a pastor, so how is this relevant to me? Well, I think the answer is that you don't need a pulpit to be a, to be a preacher. Your life speaks, and what you say as a Christian every day matters. And while this letter is addressed to a pastor and a preacher, it is timelessly relevant to each and every one of us. In our jobs, with our colleagues, in moments where we feel tempted to compromise on what we believe to be right. In our families where we need extra sensitivity or courage to share our faith. In any way that we're sharing God's uh, in any way that we're serving God's people, in any situation where we need wisdom and discernment, the passage we just heard is relevant. Which is why, of course, it's in the New Testament. God put it there for a reason, for our benefit. And so what I want to do is look with you um, at three kind of reasons that the Apostle Paul gives to preach the word in our own life, context, and circumstances. And he says that firstly, we preach the word because eternity is at hand. Secondly, we preach the word because resistance is coming. And thirdly, we preach the, the word because the battle may rage, but Jesus holds the victory. So that's where I'm going. So firstly, we preach the word because eternity is at hand. And in verse 1, it's got a kind of air of solemnity, doesn't it? He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. And to kind of add as much gravity as he can to his words, Paul uses that phrase, doesn't he? In the presence of God, and Christ Jesus. And it, he's not really trying to threaten Timothy when he says that. It's, he's more just making a statement of fact that there are eternal realities which 
Paul says these realities need to be front and center to your mind, Timothy, if you're going to be able to endure and to live a life of eternal significance. And Paul says that in Christ, God has promised to break into this world to judge the living and the dead. And this reality of judgment has the power to strengthen Timothy's resolve to preach the word. He says, in view of those realities, preach the word. Now, I really enjoy a good um, action film. And quite often there's a moment when the protagonist um, is up against the odds and they're told something, something to the effect of, you know, hold on, the cavalry's coming, backup is on the way, often in the form of something ridiculous like a jet or a helicopter or some kind of special weapon. And suddenly courage comes back and the situation doesn't seem quite so impossible after all. And it's a bit like that in this reading. Paul says to Timothy, in Christ, the cavalry is coming. Backup is coming. So don't lose heart, even in the moments when it feels like the whole world is against you. But I think it's worth just pausing to think for a moment, how is your eternal perspective tonight? all sorts of things that can cause us to lose sight, I think, of what Paul's talking about in this passage. And one of the biggest ones, particularly for Christians, that we can lose an eternal perspective is kind of a sense of how small we are, how insignificant we are in the West. It's easy to feel kind of increasingly marginalized in a world that is increasingly hostile to living for Jesus Christ. And Paul experienced hostility to the word of God himself. And he knows that hostility will be coming Timothy's way soon. And he wants to prepare him for it. And we know that because he says in verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine or healthy doctrine would be another translation. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's a pretty damning verdict, isn't it? But it leads into my second point, which is we preach the word because resistance is coming. And now writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul urges Timothy to freshly devote himself to the preaching of the word because a time absolutely will come. Notice he doesn't say the time might come or could come. No, he says the time will come when people will not want to hear the truth. Paul's trying to prepare us, isn't he, to not be surprised when that happens. Now, you might think as you hear that, well, surely, how is that an encouragement to be bold, to preach, to share your faith, to preach the word? Surely it's a monumental discouragement. If he's saying, well, basically loads of people are going to resist you and reject you, well, thanks a lot, Paul. But no, actually, what Paul's saying, it's the other way around, actually. He's saying people will resist the truth, and when that happens, 
Timothy, you're going to feel tempted to water down your message, or even just to stop preaching altogether. But Paul, almost anticipating that, seems to be saying, I'm urging you in advance not to stop. I like how John Stott puts it. He said, "Um, the harder the times and the deafer the people, the clearer and more persuasive our proclamation must be. The value of a shepherd is not seen, is it, in the absence of wolves. No, the value of a shepherd shows itself when the sheep are in danger of attack. And in a similar way, Paul says to us, when you see people departing from biblical truth and going after false teachers that just tell them what they want to hear, that is actually the time when your influence and your prayers and your words matter even more. And it's no time to allow yourself to be intimidated into silence. When sin and error abound, that is exactly when preaching the word could not be more critical. Now, I do want to be clear. I'm not a raving fundamentalist. And Paul is not saying here that we can have a license to be rude, insensitive, or crass when we share our faith with our friends and family. And that includes what we say on social media as well, where it's even easier to be nasty. But halfway through verse 2, he says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with what? He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, he's saying that humility and careful discernment are required in order to contend for biblical truth in the way that God wants us to. Or as he puts it there in verse 5, keep your head in all situations. Don't, he's basically saying, don't lose your temper, don't lose control of yourself. So he's saying we need our preaching of the word to clearly demonstrate humility and winsomeness. There's a measuredness that Paul's talking about here. Now with that being said though, we shouldn't allow that to eclipse the need for courage because courage is needed to preach the word. Back in chapter 3, he's already told us in verse 12 that everyone, that's you and me, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, chapter 3, verse 12. And when I first became a Christian, I saw this in a really small way with some relationships um, that I was in at the time where, which were just not good for me and were not leading me in the way of Christ. And... I was being encouraged to compromise on what I knew was right. And uh, eventually I felt God calling me to actually step back from those friendships completely. And I was mocked for it, but it was absolutely the right decision and the Holy Spirit's leading in my life at that point. And I don't say that to sort of put, put myself on a pedestal in any way, but just to give you an illustration of what this might look like. And I've got plenty of things wrong in my life in the past. But we preach the word 
not because it's easy. If you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. We preach the word, actually, on the contrary, because resistance is coming. It's why it's there in this chapter. And that's all the more reason why Christians who are confident in the authority and the power of God's word to find the courage to speak up. Why do we preach the word? Because eternity is at stake. Because resistance is coming. And finally, we preach the word because the battle may rage, but Jesus holds the victory. In verses 7 to 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Or later in verse 18, he says, um, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. It's quite an astonishing claim, isn't it? To say, the Lord will rescue me from evil attack. Oh, re- the, you know, the, the political powers are about to chop my head off, but God's going to rescue me. It's like, how does he square that circle? Well, he's being real about the battle, but he's even more clear that Jesus holds the ultimate victory. Now, if you think about a soldier, when a soldier decides to become a deserter, to leave their post for whatever reason, they usually do so because they doubt maybe in some way that their side will actually win and therefore they don't know whether they're going to get through the particular battle they're in unscathed. Well, in the church of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of that. When Jesus enlists us into his army, as it were, he does so with the battle decided and the victory in hand. I take great encouragement from that as someone who is quite naturally timid myself. But just consider for a moment the victory that we stand in as followers of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, our sin, our old way of life, our worst and most shameful mistakes that we would never tell anybody. The New Testament tells us that all of that stuff died with Jesus when he died, once and for all. And that when Jesus rose from the dead, we also rose with him so that we're now seated with him in heavenly places, as Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 puts it, in such a way that our sin now cannot condemn us because it's been wiped out, the devil can't harm us, and our sinful impulses don't have to have mastery over us anymore because of his Holy Spirit living in us. And even more than that, though, that when we suffer for being faithful to his word, we can know a special and unspeakable and inexpressible joy that gives us strength to endure. We preach the word ultimately because the battle may rage, 
but Jesus holds the victory. And his word and his gospel are absolutely reliable and absolutely true. And I just want to finish tonight uh, by reading to you a really moving passage from um, a chap called J.C. Ryle. He was uh, the Bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century and had his fair share of battles and losses and struggles. But he said this, I'm just going to read this and then we'll pray. He says, if anyone really feels that he has counted the cost and taken up the cross, I bid him persevere and press on. I dare say you often feel your heart faint and are sorely tempted to give up in despair. Your enemies seem so many, your besetting sins so strong, your friends so few, the way so steep and narrow, you hardly know what to do. But still I say, persevere and press on. The time is very short. A few more years of watching and praying. A few more tossings of the sea of this world. A few more deaths and changes, a few more winters and summers, and all will be over. We shall have fought our last battle and shall need to fight no more. The presence and company of Christ will make amends for all that we suffer here below. When we see as we have seen and look back on the journey of life, we shall wonder at our own faintness of heart. We shall marvel that we made so much of our cross and thought so little of our crown. We shall marvel that in counting the cost, we could ever doubt on which side of the balance, the balance of profit lay. So let us take courage. We are not far from home. It may take much to be a true Christian and a consistent believer, but it absolutely pays. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. And we do ask that you would do a supernatural work in making us bolder to stand for your truth and to proclaim